Well, turn with me now in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read briefly this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul in this letter is writing to a city that is very proud of its wisdom tradition. And he is writing to a congregation that is very proud in its place in that wisdom tradition. I might say it this way. He's writing to a congregation that lives in a very academic urban environment. Surely that rings some bells. And he's addressing that congregation and he's warning them that they should embrace the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world. Here we're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 beginning in verse 9. Hear the word of the Lord. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. The day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. Paul points us to a very familiar metaphor. It's a metaphor that we have embedded in our English language. When you refer to the building that sits at 53 Antrim Street, what do you call it? The church. Why? Because you are metaphorically confusing the persons who gather in it with the thing that it is. Paul does that here. Strictly speaking, this is not the church. This is merely the church's building. You are the church. And here in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul says that you, the church of Jesus Christ, are like a building. 
Over 126 years, you have been built up in this place together. But Paul also says, according to this metaphor, that all churches must be tested. This is where I'm tempted to yield to the expert in the room on such matters. Supposedly, you test the foundation of things to make sure they're strong enough to hold up the structures that sit on them. This is what I understand some people make a living doing. In this case, Paul says that the test is not done in a polite and proper way, but with fire. Churches are tested for their strength, durability, and purity by being consumed in the flames. And the only thing that remains is that cornerstone which is Christ. That foundation stone which is Christ. And all the living stones which are built upon Him. That is you, the believers of Jesus Christ. Paul warns us, my friends, whatever we seek to build this congregation with, it must face the fire. And if we think that this congregation will grow by programs, guess what? The pandemic can make them all go bye-bye that fast. My friends, if we think we will build this church with wealth, an economic collapse can make that disappear in a hurry. No, Paul warns us, That only on the cornerstone of Christ can the living stones of believers be added together to build together the church of Jesus Christ. These are the only things that will survive the fires and testing in this life. With that in mind, turn back to Proverbs chapter 1. We're going to look this morning at Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. We have seen already in Proverbs chapter 1 that Solomon is addressing his son. And he is, as a father, trying to pass along this wisdom that his son will need in order to live well in the world and rule wisely over the church. And here he speaks metaphorically of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Here again, the word of the Lord. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open square. She cries out in the chief concourses at the openings of the gates in the city. She speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hands and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. 
Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Amen and amen. Sometimes we miss very important calls, don't we? When I was a little boy, it was evening, and I was playing in the fields and forests as I love to do. I was slaying dragons and conquering kingdoms, and I started to get hungry and wondered why my mother hadn't called me in to dinner. As the sun continued to set and the day grew dark, I grew more hungry and wondered why my mother hadn't come in to, called me in to dinner. I heard the pump at the milk house turn off, and I knew that the milking was over, and my brothers and father had returned to the house and wondered why my mother hadn't called me in to dinner. But there were dragons to slay and kingdoms to conquer, so I continued. Until at last, darkness had settled all around me, and my hunger had deepened deep within me, and I thought, why hasn't my mother called me in to dinner? So at last, overcome by darkness and hunger, I made my way to the house. You can imagine my alarm and surprise when I opened the door and saw there my brothers with my mother and my father more than halfway through dinner. I instantly felt this tsunami of middle child abandonment in which they had betrayed me and forgotten me as all middle child children instantly assume in such cases. They looked at me with equal shock and surprise and My mother said, why didn't you come when you were called? I called for you so many times. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And my dad said, yeah, we went up to the barn and you weren't there. And we went out into the heifer lot and you weren't there. And we searched everywhere for you. My brothers agreed. And I got this sudden sinking feeling inside that made me realize. I had been so busy slaying dragons and conquering kingdoms, I had not heard the day's most important call. To come to dinner. Beloved, this is the way we often live our lives. We live our lives in this fantasy world that we have created for ourselves. Like little children running here and there, busy with many important things, at least as we see it, not hearing the world's most important call. You see, what Solomon teaches his son and through him teaches us today is that wisdom calls to us. In fact, I might say it this way for reasons you'll understand later. Jesus calls to us. Beloved, Jesus calls to you today. Today, right now, in this sermon, Jesus calls to you. Deny yourself and come to him. Beloved, Jesus calls to you today. Deny yourself and come to Him. Think about this for a little bit with me. 
Notice in the beginning, verse 20 and 21, we are introduced to a woman Solomon names Wisdom. And she is a busy woman, and she is not a quiet woman. In fact, Solomon says repeatedly, she calls aloud, she raises her voice, she cries out, she speaks her words. This is an active and energetic woman who is filling the world with noise. Wisdom is calling, raising her voice, crying out, and speaking her words. Who is this woman, Wisdom? Solomon seems to be bringing to the mind of his son a metaphor by which he can relate to the truth, what we might call a maternal metaphor. Because the one woman in a son's life who calls aloud, raises her voice, cries out, and speaks to him words is his mom. Solomon, the father of our audience, seems to be saying, Son, you know how your mom tries to get your attention constantly and tries to speak to you good words that will benefit your life? Wisdom's like that. Wisdom's like mom. Trying to get your attention and to give you good counsel. But this mom is not restricted to the house. Rather, Solomon says that she is outside in the open squares, in the chief concourses, and in the gates of the city. In other words, wisdom is not a mom of one, two, five, or six kids. Wisdom is the mom of humanity. Wisdom is wherever the people gather. She is outside in the streets. She is there in the open squares where business and commerce are going on. She is in the chief concourses where travelers pass. She is in the gates of the city where the elders judge and the judges rule. She is there where civilization happens. She is there where society plays out. And she is there in the midst of humanity, calling like a mother to her children, saying, listen. Beloved, are you listening? It is striking that Solomon, this man of wisdom, would not say to us, I have found wisdom. It is on the tops of the mountains in the monasteries of the monks. Go and isolate yourself and think your own thoughts. Solomon doesn't say that. Wisdom does not belong to the isolationist living high off in the mountain. Solomon does not say it is in the deep caverns of the endless libraries of Harvard University. Solomon does not say that you need the sacred little plastic card that gets you through security at Widener. Solomon does not say that's where wisdom is. No, wisdom is where everyone can reach her. Wisdom is open and available. Wisdom is there in the streets, there in the squares. Notice that he chooses to use squares. He can relate well to you Cantabrigians. He's in Inman, he's in Central, he's in Harvard, he's in Kendall. She, I should say, I'm getting ahead of myself. She is there and she is crying aloud, speaking out. Beloved, wisdom can be found. Wisdom is there and she is crying out. The question for Solomon's son, the question for you this morning, my friends, are you listening? Have you ears to hear and hearts to obey? This becomes her first address. In verses 22 and 23, 
she speaks first to the heart that is not inclined to hear and obey. She says, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Wisdom has gone public. And there amidst the humanity, she, like a mother with her children, says, Listen, I have wisdom for you. I will teach you. I will improve your life and make things good for you. Just listen to me and do as I say. She asks first the rhetorical question, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? By this, she begins at the lowest rung. Those who lack wisdom because they are ignorant. They are born into the world, lacking a knowledge of the world. We have all gone through this as little children, and we have all dealt with this as parents of little children. We see around us those humans who are simply just naive. They are simple. They do not yet know the complexities and difficulties of life. She advances then, as it were, to level two. Scorners delight in their scorning. That is to say, these are the ones who know the truth, but mock it and ridicule it. We might call these the teenagers, who see the truth in what their parents say, but glory more in distancing themselves from it. Scorning and mocking. But then we give, come rather to level three, that full-blown adult who is a fool and a hater of knowledge. We advance from that youth in which there is ignorance. We advance to that rebellious stage in which the heart is resistant. We come to that full-bore adult place in which we despise the truth, hate the knowledge, and pretend that we know best. Isn't it stunning, my friends? Wisdom steps into the street and says, How long? How long will you live according to your own counsels, according to your own insights, according to your own teaching? But she speaks not to them as an intellectual problem, but as one of the heart, one of the will. How long will you love ignorance? We have a phrase for this, don't we? Ignorance is bliss. Solomon says, no, it isn't. Ignorance is pain. Ignorance is how you end up doing things that are dumb. Ignorance is not bliss. How long, simple ones, will you love simplicity? Scorners delight in their scorning. Why do they reject the counsel of the wise? Why do they mock the truth? Why do we live in a society that makes of Christianity and Christian ethics a joke? Why is social media drowning in the teasing and the mocking of Christian ethics? The scorners love to ridicule the truth. What is more, fools who walk around and say, I am a God able to define myself and able to define all the world around me. I have deified myself and my thoughts. And wisdom says, how long? How long will you pretend you're not a creature made in the image of God? How long will you pretend that you can run your life when you clearly can't? How long will you pretend that you have sovereignty over your day's decisions when you clearly do not? How long? 
Then she says in verse 23, Turn at my rebuke, and I will pour out my spirit on you. The problem once more is that human heart. That human heart that does not love the truth, but loves the lie. That human heart that must be made new. There must be a new spirit, a spirit of wisdom that is not natural to humanity. Then I will make my words known to you. There is a revelation of wisdom that is necessary for the remaking of the human being. But these words are profitable only for the one who has the new heart, the new spirit. Words of wisdom become, as Solomon will say later in Proverbs, pearls before swine when cast before the unbelieving heart. This heart must be made new. This rebuke exists to stir up in us a desire for faith in Jesus Christ. Wisdom steps out into the midst of humanity and with a loud voice says, you're going the wrong way, people. Have you seen anyone like this? Have you seen them in the streets of Boston? Where everyone is rushing madly from job to job, from tea to tea and car to car, and the crazy bearded guy who doesn't, you know, just looks totally out of place is standing on the street corner and he's shouting weird things about Jesus at people. I don't advocate for that particular approach to evangelism, but I do ask you to remember of the crazy people in the world, he's less than all the other ones that look nice. Because they're the insane ones running after the idols of this age, building for themselves lives that will be consumed that fast. He's the crazy one alienating the world in order to obtain that which he cannot lose. Yesterday was the 65th anniversary of Jim Elliott's death and Nate Saints and the other men who together pledged 65 years ago, we are not fools. We give up what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose. This is what wisdom says. Why are you living your life for yourself? You cannot keep yourself. Why are you living according to the wisdom of your own imaginations? It is not wise. She rebukes us and says, this heart is leading you astray. This self-determination is destroying you. My friends, this is a point that is desperately urgent for our hour. Because our generation has decided that the very pinnacle of human existence is self-determination. And they are wrong. It is the gateway drug for self-destruction. The day we define ourselves is the day we begin to destroy ourselves. This is what Solomon teaches his son. You must deny yourself. This is the beginning. To lose that human heart that is bent only to sin and self. But secondly, having rebuked the maddening crowd as it rushes about in its insanity, she says, but I have called and you have refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one has regarded. You have disdained my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. 
When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, wisdom goes out into the public square, turns upon humanity and says, your hearts are in the wrong place, you need new hearts. Come to me and I will give you a new spirit. She says also, be warned. Be warned that the day is coming when you will receive the just desserts for your actions, your sin and your selfishness. Be warned that I have repeatedly sought you out. Notice how she repeats for the audience what she has done. I stretched out my hands. Nobody noticed. You disdained my counsel, that I cried aloud and shouted in the streets. You had none of my rebuke. You mocked and scorned me. And so now it's my turn, verse 26. I will laugh and mock you. It offends our Western sensibilities, doesn't it? We like the Jesus who is very gentle and kind, even to the very end. We like the Jesus who has only one example of hurting people with a whip. But here wisdom says, justice will be done, and I will delight in it. I can give you one illustration that softens it a little bit. You parents actually know exactly what mother wisdom is going through here. Do you know all those times that you have said to your children... Go down the stairs one stair at a time. Only to then hear an hour later, thump, 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 thump. You're like so torn, aren't you? I want to yell at them, I want to comfort them, and I want to laugh at them. As a parent, you say to your child, don't lean back in your chair, don't lean back in your chair, and all of a sudden you hear, splat. And you want to go, are we going to the ER, or am I just going to sit here and laugh at you? Time and time again, I tell you, don't do that, don't do that, and you did it, okay. Should I just laugh? Is is that the only way out of this emotional angst that I as a parent feel because you so stubbornly ignore my counsel? That's what Mother Wisdom is going through. She's looking at humanity, these children, to which she has been sent by the Spirit of God in order to call out to them and say, leave your foolishness, come, let's be wise Leave off that heart of foolishness. Receive a new spirit from me. And they won't come. And they won't listen. They won't turn at her rebuke. They won't repent of their selfishness. They won't repent. Isn't it stunning that she is experiencing the same exact thing that happened to John in his vision in Revelation? In fact, it's the exact same thing we've seen since Genesis 2 Revelation where John sees these visions after visions where the judgments of God are poured out on the earth and the refrain keeps coming and they refuse to repent and they refuse to repent and they refuse to repent. And at last, there is this tragedy that comes upon the world, a terror that comes like a storm, destruction that comes like a whirlwind, distress and anguish that bears down upon humanity and crushes them together. And wisdom says, now what? You have sought to build your life on that which is self-destructive, and here you are. Let me give you one illustration for our society. What has been untouched by the pandemic? What has been undefiled 
The only thing I could think of this last week as I was praying and meditating on this is the selfishness and sinfulness of our hearts. He reached everything else. Isn't this a tragically laughable moment? Where God has made a laughing stock of the greatest imperial economics the world has ever seen. Where God has made a mockery of all that we Americans worship. And he, like Moses of old, has gone one by one to all our little American deities and has knocked them on the floor and said, you know what, you're not that great. And as the plagues lay bare the futility of our fake gods, do we repent? Do we hear wisdom calling over the cacophony of this age? Do we hear wisdom whispering on the wind and saying to us, there is shelter for you in the storm. There is an escape from the distress and the anguish. The destruction and the terror that comes like a whirlwind upon you, you need not be afraid. When the whirlwind descends and the waves rise high, there is one thing the church of Jesus Christ needs to remember in this metaphor. Jesus is in the boat. And he is Lord of the storm. He is king of the pandemic. This is his world. Friends, this is wisdom. And wisdom goes out and says, do you not know you are creatures? Do you not know Christ is enthroned on high? She calls out. And she says again a third time now. They will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my rebuke and despise my counsel, sorry, and despise my every rebuke. First, she goes out into the public place and she speaks to all humanity as a mother to a child. And she says, come, I will give you a new heart. She says, come, I will warn you of the calamity that you are creating for yourself. It is a tragedy of your making from which you can depart with humility and repentance, with self-denial. But thirdly, she says, the day is coming when I will be silent. The day is coming where I will speak no more. You will call, but I will not answer. You will seek, but you will not find. This wisdom woman who was everywhere evident and everywhere visible, speaking to all and everyone freely and openly, will vanish and disappear. Have you ever noticed that in your life? That when you're trying to help a friend who's in distress, you can sit there so calmly and just give the most Solomaic wisdom. And the moment it's you who's in distress, your brain's just turned to mush. And you can't find A from B or up from down. The day will come where the storm will descend and the tragedy will arise and you will be awash with grief and sorrow and fear, with terror and dread, and you will not find me. Notice, my friends, that there is a day to find wisdom and there is a day when you cannot. There is a day in which your heart can be humbled before the Lord And you can receive from Him instruction. But the day is coming when that door will be closed. 
This is why Psalm 95 says, if you hear his voice today, then come and believe. This is the reason Hebrews says, repeating Psalm 95, while it is today, believe today. It is why my main point of the sermon is Jesus calls to you today. Today, my friends, hear the voice of Jesus. Hear wisdom calling in the streets and saying, come and be wise. Leave the self-destructive folly that we have given ourselves to. Do not hate knowledge, but rather, notice verse 29, choose the fear of the Lord. The justification for wisdom's departure in the time of tragedy is that the heart is not right with God. This one who has finally been swallowed up in the storm and finally brought to his or her knees is not calling upon God for wisdom out of faith, but out of fear. There was no fear or reverence for God. There was merely a desire to escape the consequences. Are we not told in Hebrews that even Esau bowed down with tears and wept and pleaded with repentance, but was not heard? It was too late. Dear friends, what will you be doing this afternoon? What will you be doing today? You're not promised tomorrow. Will you not hear the voice of wisdom today? And call out now, Lord, make me wise unto salvation. Make me wise unto your ways and your will. That I would depart from mine because I'm destroying my life. Because I'm making a mess of my world. Choose the fear of the Lord. To say you will be center in my life and not I. But they would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. This too offends our American sensibilities. We like a God who is eternally gracious. And indeed he is. But we my friends do not dictate dictate the terms of his grace. And he has said, there is a day of salvation, and it is today. He has said, there is a day of salvation, and it is now. That we should believe and be saved. That we should fear him, reverence him, turn away from ourselves and follow him. That we should be rebuked again and again and again in our lives in order that we might amass together that faith That says, it's not me, but Christ in me. It's not I, but Christ who is within me. Friends, this is the spirit of wisdom. To deny oneself and to follow Christ. And the day is coming when that wisdom will not be available. I don't think I have to tell you how terribly awful it is to preach passages like this. And to know some of you will walk out of that door and tune me out in an hour. Today, you're not promised your safe trip home. Today, you're not promised a good night's sleep. Today, beloved, this is what the wisdom says to us. She's out in the street, she's out in the square, she's in the first RV church, and she's crying out, Come. Leave yourself, you're destroying yourself. Come to Christ and let Him be the center of your existence. And so she concludes, verses 31 through 33, Therefore, therefore, 
the consequences of their refusing to hear her repeated cries, the consequences of their ignorance and indifference to wisdom's voice, is they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. It is a striking bit of wisdom, is it not? Solomon ends and wisdom says to his son, the worst thing in the world God could possibly give you is what you want. The worst thing in the world that God could possibly do is leave you to yourself. To self-determine, to self-decide. If he leaves you to order your own life, then you will get the fruit of your own way. And the wages of sin is death. This is what wisdom warns us. You shall eat the fruit of your own way. You shall have the reward of your self-determination. It is self-destruction. You will be filled to the full with your own fancies. That fictitious world that you have made up, that fictive world that you have made up, that fantasy that you have invented for yourself, you will have it to the full. Disconnected from reality, untethered from truth, enslaved to the demons of your own mind and imagination. It's turning away from the voice of wisdom. This turning away from the call of Christ. The simple slay themselves by abandoning what is true and what is real and what is right. The complacency of fools. Not actively turning away, just carelessly ignoring it. Just subtly pushing away the preaching of God. Just sitting there quietly and saying, that's nice, that's exciting for him. I'm moving on. This will destroy them, says wisdom. Verse 33, but. Such an important word theologically in the scriptures. But. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Wisdom stands in the midst of humanity and she says to all the humans of the earth, Like a mother, come to me, and I will teach you. I will teach you to fear the Lord, and not evil. This evil that she speaks of here are the calamities and the tragedies of this life that we all must face. Notice that wisdom does not foolishly promise a life without problems. Evil will come. Evil days will come. But there is a safety and a security that leaves our hearts untroubled and undisturbed. It is without a fear of evil that she promises we can live. Not without evil. She does not promise heaven yet. But she promises a heart so rooted and tethered to the hope of heaven that it is undisturbed by all the evils of this earth. How can this be? How can we reconcile this promise? Who is this wisdom? There is only one place in the New Testament that I find the language of this passage reappearing. And it's when Jesus stands on the mountain and looks across the Kidron Valley at Jerusalem. In that final week of his life, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. 
You who murdered the prophets and stoned those that God had sent to you. You who for thousands of years carelessly and indifferently ignored the wisdom that God had sent to you. And who tuned out the teachings of the living God. You who have generations of killing those who sought to make you wise unto salvation. What does he say? I have longed to gather you as a mother mother hen gathers her chicks. He stood like wisdom in the open squares and streets. He stood like wisdom at the great feasts where all the people of the nation of Israel had gathered together in Jerusalem. And he said, I am the living water, drink of me. Come to me and you will never thirst again. Isaiah 65 will take up the same language. Paul in Romans 10 will put that language into the mouth of Jesus. All day long I stretched out my hands to you. And you would not. Beloved, here is the truth for us today. Jesus calls to you. Jesus calls to the city of Cambridge Jesus calls to the city of Boston. Jesus calls to you and to your children and to your spouses. And he says, come. Leave yourself. Deny yourself and follow me. Come and follow me. He is the one standing with outstretched arms and saying, I will make you wise, wise unto salvation. Beloved, do you hear him? Then come. Jesus calls to you today. Deny yourself and come to him. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the wisdom of Solomon who instructs his children in the ways of life. Who teaches us that wisdom calls and after her Christ. That she is standing to teach the coming of Christ. And now that he has come, we have the fullness of the wisdom of God revealed to us in flesh. Forgive us, O God, that we have loved the wisdom of our own hearts and imaginations so much. Forgive us, O God, that we have loved the wisdom of this world so much. And grant us humility, O God, that we today would worship our King, fear our Lord, and walk in the ways of wisdom. Grant us grace, O God, that we would come to Christ, the fountain of wisdom, and in Him be made wise. For this we ask in His name. Amen.